Pepe, uh, what are you doing? The hat is too tight. It kills your brain. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Michaelus Hamiltonius. Well, hello there, Travis. How are you <laughs> doing this fine evening? <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing good. That's oh, the best man. I can come up with on short notice. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Oh, man. Well, we have a packed episode this week, so we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to start with the news. Cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. All right, so the first bit of news that we are going to talk about this week is Sony has announced that they are currently developing a film adaptation of Aftershock's upcoming comic, The Kaiju Score. The story for the film will follow four criminals attempting the perfect heist in the middle of a giant monster attack on the city. Now, this sounds great. I am looking forward to this. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I'll agree. It does sound interesting. So they basically just made a movie about uh, looters. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's like that uh, they had one uh, recently that was about, uh, it was called Storm Heist or something like that, or Hurricane Heist. Something yeah, like hurricane, that. It, it, hurricane Heist, because I, uh, I heard somebody else on another podcast talk about it. But yeah. Yeah. And they... Um, and uh, that, you know, that was about uh, a heist in the middle of a, of the hurricane. So mm-hmm. um, I'm uh, do you know, like transferring that over into the kaiju world and being like in the middle of this kaiju attack, some people go and and loot things like that. That sounds really interesting. I'm all for anytime somebody wants to do a story that is uh, the outside the normal Mm-hmm. realm of like kaiju like usually right. when you're when you're doing a kaiju story it's always the heroes who are trying to stop the monster or trying to mm-hmm. survive the monster attack but then you go with the ones who are like the ones who are looting or the ones who are just like the little uh you know standby guys not the military or scientists or anything like that mm-hmm. i i like when they do that yeah um should be interesting i hope it doesn't turn out to be like another cloverfield but we'll see uh, uh i mean a lot of people like cloverfield I'm not crazy about it, but a lot of people do like Cloverfield. That's true. But uh, yeah, I've often said how interesting would it be if we had a human drama story where a kaiju is around. It's like background noise, but the all the, the entire movie is focused on the human drama. It just so happens that there's a kaiju also in this movie as well and it sounds like that's what sony's trying to do here yeah now this is uh this is going to be based on a comic book now what's interesting is that this comic book hasn't come out yet which Mm -hmm. means that when this uh when this was being written this was optioned uh for movie for for a film adaptation uh Mm -hmm. before it was actually even finished so Mm -hmm. uh that's an interesting thing that they that somebody like sony jumped on it so quickly sure 
Um, sure. Especially from Aftershock, because Aftershock's not one of the big comic book publishers uh, that you hear about all the time. Like, you know, you hear DC, Marvel, those ones like that, um, even Dark Horse or an image. But Aftershock is kind of like a, a, a weird little side one. So it's like just uh, so they're like the arrow of the comic book world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a good that's a good description of them. Because Arrow specializes, they, don't they specialize in very niche genre films and very niche movies? Uh, yeah, that, that don't get a whole lot of mainstream attention. Right, exactly. And and Aftershock is kind of like that. Aftershock tends to do very adult oriented um, comic books, if I if I remember right. And uh, and I have to tell listeners right now. Uh, I know where I'm interrupting this this uh, news topic, but if you guys hear noise in the background, it is the podcast cat. She is being a pain and will not get off the desk. So I am trying to record around the cat who is just sitting on my desk and rolling around and making all kinds of distractions and noise. So if you guys hear noise in the background, I'm sorry, but... I can't help it because if anybody who owns cats knows you cannot control your cat, they do what they want. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You have three of them that are so well behaved and never do anything. (laughs) They're all, they're all so photogenic. They behave themselves. I have no problems whatsoever out of any of my animals. Yeah. Yeah. Cat Daisy, you want to say hi to your fans? I'm going to say hi to the listeners. She's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to cause problems. Okay. Well, well that's anyway. such as life. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Uh, ready to move on to the next story. <laughs> well, uh, we didn't even touch on the, there's a photo here of the Kaiju. Oh so- yeah. 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 Uh, it looks kind of like a um, Pacific Rim type uh, Kaiju. In my on my notepad here, I literally I literally wrote, "Daddy Gamera and Mommy Zigra had a baby." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can because see that. it's got it's got the turtle shell, it's got the Gamera tusks, it's got the shark face that sort of resembles a goblin shark. From and Zigra was modeled after a goblin shark. So yeah, there you go. It's 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 if Zigra. And Gamera had a baby. So let that image sink into you right now. Let that let that image just wash over you. And that's what you would get with this image that I'm looking at right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool looking design, though. It, it really is. So, I, yeah. I, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is from the comic book. Uh, and this is not I'm just assuming. an image that's attached to this story for no reason. I'm assuming so, uh, because it looks very comic booky. I just made up a yeah. word there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it. I think it's. I think it looks good. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how they how they bring it to life. Um, I'm not sure. I was looking through this. Uh, I was looking through the article here, and I don't see an actual um, tentative release date, unless yeah, unless I'm overlooking it. Well, that's if it's in development, then it's probably in early stages of development, which means they're probably still writing the script, probably still, um, you know, storyboarding, all that kind of stuff. So, um, 
it's still early days, so I'm sure they're not going to know when it's going to come out for a while. But uh, yeah, we're we're hope hopefully it will see the light of day. If not, then I will just you know I'm going to pick up the comic book just to check it out because anytime there's a kaiju comic book that comes out, I'm going to check it out. So well, let's let's go ahead and jump into the next uh, the sure. next bit of news because uh, we've got a few more news items that we want to cover yeah, uh, this week. So the new trailer for Tremors: Shrieker Island, the seventh movie in the franchise, has hit the internet and it looks sick. Uh, it looks so good. Uh, the uh, the trailer comes out with the announcement that this movie will be available to own on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital on October 20th. So, did you get a chance to look at the trailer for Tremors Shrieker Island? I did. And did you say, you did say 17th, not 7th, right? Uh, yeah, the 7th. The no, se- yeah. No, you, you said the 7th. Yeah, <laughs> There you go. Yeah. I got it. I got it. I'm a little slow on the up uh, on the uptake this it's week. Fine. It's fine. It didn't quite land for me either. So I'm sorry, <laughs> audio listener. Anyway, yeah, I look. I uh, um I watched it. It was. It looked uh, in my notes. I wrote down about it. Was um yeah. The, well, basically, just the CGI looks really great. It's been a long time now. Granted, it's been a long time since I've watched a Tremors movie. I think the last movie I li- I think literally the last Tremors movie I watched was three, and that was probably six months ago. So, I, and I knew there were more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just never really had the desire to watch them. But given uh, given the trailer, I think I'm gonna have to. I think I'm gonna have to watch this, and I think we might have to review it. Oh yeah, yeah, we definitely need to review this on the podcast. Um, I I really like the Tremors movies. The problem I have with this trailer, and really, it's a problem with the most recent Tremors movies in general. Is yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's it's that they have moved away from they've moved away from the practical effects and are doing full CGI. Daisy. Dumb cat. Um, They're moving away from the, from the practical effects and they're doing full CGI for the monsters. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that. One of the great things about the original Tremors movies is their reliance on, on uh, practical effects. Right. And I, I think that's really great. And so I hate that the franchise has gone the route of, I mean, I get it. It's cheaper. Yeah. But at the same time, I do. I, I am. I am disappointed. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I would be disappointed too if I was a longtime Tremors fan because that's sort of what they were known for. Mm-hmm. Was sort of those. I'm not gonna say cheesy because the first Tremors film, I wouldn't say that was cheesy because given it was like what 92, was it 92 something like that? Um, 90. Something like yeah, it was in the very early 90s when that. Yeah, 1990. Was it was in 1990. Okay, so for that, I mean, for what it was, those practical effects were really good. And I'm hesitant really to say this, but I'll, and and I want to preface this by saying I'm not trying to sound like super elitist, but I feel like unless you're Toho, you really have a hard time getting away with practical effects these days. Well, Toho even, I mean, look at Shin Godzilla. Mm, That's true. But from what I'm understanding, uh, whatever Godzilla, whatever that franchise looks like after GVK, 
from what I've I've read little I've very I've read very little about it because there's very little to tell right now. But Toho is going to go back to some they they are going to be using some practical effects. So to what extent I have no idea. But there is rumblings out there that Toho is going back to the practical effects. Yeah. So um, on the podcast we have covered the first two Tremors movies. Me and Sam covered those back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, to to uh, Sam's chagrin, because Sam was not a huge fan of. Well, he wasn't a huge fan of the second one. I, I remember him liking the first one, but he just didn't really like the second one. Mm. Um, but then we also had uh, Tremors three, Back to Perfection. You had the fourth one, which was kind of a uh, a prequel uh, to the to the rest of them. Then the fifth one was Bloodlines. That's when they went to Africa, and then the sixth one was Tremors: A Cold Day in Hell which is, uh, as far as I know, all of them are still available on Netflix um, here in the in North America. So uh, I need to go and watch A Cold Day in Hell, because I don't think I watched a cold, a cold Day in Hell, but I have seen all the other ones. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, I admittedly, I haven't seen a Tremors. I have not watched a contemporary... Tri- twi- I can't... Nah. Let me back, hang on. Let me let me back up. You'll need a Twimmers, a Twimmers movie. Yeah, a Twimmer, uh, a Twimmer. Haven't watched I, a Twimmers I, movie. I, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're gonna make me leave this in, aren't you? Um, uh huh. <laughs> I haven't watched a Tremors movie in months, and it was the original, and I think maybe like the first two. I haven't seen any of the more contemporary ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So if anybody's interested, you can check out the trailer for this. Um, I do like that. They have redesigned that, that the, I like that the monsters, the trim, the graboids and the shriekers and all of them, that outside of the American Southwest that they, you know, with the first few movies took place in that they, are different you know that the 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 creatures actually look different depending on where in the world they are and where where they go like the the ones in africa looked different now the ones the ones in canada look different now the ones here on this island look different so uh i'm you know i like that they are taking the time to redesign the monsters to keep them interesting i just like i said i wish that they had stuck they had stuck to practical effects but if anybody's interested in watching this it will be available on october 20th and we will probably review it on the podcast we most likely will we're actually uh in the process now of thinking about our 2021 schedule mm-hmm. yep yep we are because we're getting close to the end of the year well i say that i mean we're only at the end of august but but uh, yeah, our schedule, okay. our schedule for this year is full, and we're going. We're looking at what we're going to be doing next year. <laughs> right, for sure, for yeah. sure. But it looks a lot of. Long story short, looks a lot of fun. Go watch it. Yeah. Um. So another bit of news I wanted to cover just real quick is we have a live streaming event that's going to be available on October second through the fourth. That is called Kaiju Masterclass. It's going to be a deep dive into Japanese science fiction or Japanese science film is what it says, but I think it's science fiction film and television with the genre creators, historians, and researchers. Uh, like I said, the two day event is going to be uh, on October 2nd through the 4th. It's going to be live streamed 
and it's going to be free and open to the online community. So anybody who wants to check that out, uh, they haven't announced a whole bunch of guests and yet, but I do know that the Kaiju Transmissions, our friends over at Kaiju Transmissions podcast are going to be involved in that. So yep. I, um, I had seen Matt, I think it was Matt or maybe in bird that said something about it. So yeah, I'm super excited for those guys. I'm super, I'm going to be watching uh, along probably with everybody else. Cause I am really interested to see what they have, what they have going on. So, yeah. Yeah. So we just wanted to get the word out there to everybody who might be interested in this. Um, so stick to the uh, social medias. Uh, I will be retweeting um, anything in, as we get more information on it. And uh, like I said, you can check out the Kaiju Transmissions podcast and their Twitter account because they are uh, going to be involved in it too. Yep, for sure. And we're going to end on some sad news this week with the with the news segment. Anyway, the the Arrow Gamera set has come and gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, it sure has. So, so it seems that they hugely underestimated the number of copies that were needed to be produced, um, and that has led to it being sold out all over mm. North America and the UK. And the saddest part of this is that this is the only printing of this version, anyway, that is going to be uh, sold. So it is not only sold out, it is out yeah, of print. Yeah, it sure is. Um, so congratulations to one of the 8,000 people who were lucky enough to grab one. Um, I was a little bit worried because mine got, I did, I did pick one up. Uh, I'm super happy with it. Super thankful that I got my hands on one. Uh, I did not double dip like you guys probably have heard me say before, uh, just finances and all that. Uh, but I'm kind of kicking myself for not doing it. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so yeah, apparently there was only 8,000 copies made of this thing. I think 5,000 copies came to the U S 3000 copies, uh, came to the UK and you are right, Travis, they, uh, drastically underestimated the amount that they were going to need. Now I will say maybe that was on purpose because I don't know how expensive it is to produce such an extensive set like they gave us because, you know, we got the DVDs, uh, we got the, sorry, the, we got the Blu-rays, uh, we got the comics and we got the retrospective, uh, magazine that came with, or the soft cover magazine that came with the, mm -hmm. um, with the set as well. So maybe 8,000 was the most, was the only cost effective way to do it. I do know, or I have seen rather, uh, people have asked online, specifically on Twitter, if arrow was going to be putting out a set with just the films. And they have confirmed that eventually they will be putting out, a, I, I, but it's not confirmed yet if it's a box set or if they're going to be releasing them individually as Blu-rays, but they do plan on releasing like the individual films and they're going to be the same exact. Um, I, th uh, I think it's a set. I, I think it a it's set? a set. Yeah. Okay. Because arrow already put, has put out the individual um, DVDs. Like they, okay. they have already released individual ones. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty sure this is going to be a set, but it's going to be, like you said, a very pared down version. Um, right. It's going to have all of the special features that are on the discs, mm -hmm. uh, for, according to what I've read. Um, one of the people who was the head of the project 
over at Arrow has uh, talked about it on Twitter. And he said that all the stuff that's available on the discs will still be available. But it's yeah. the, all of the supplemental stuff like the comic books, the magazine, the the maps, all of that kind of stuff that came with it that mm -hmm. will not be available. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And that's super disappointing because we were we were all kind of hoping that it was going to be so, something similar to Criterion where um, they had this beautiful set um, and they produced I mean, Criterion's a large company, so they were able to produce more than I, I'm assuming they produced well more than 8,000 copies of that Godzilla show a set. Um, but yeah, I, I see why it's so limited because of all the stuff we got with it. And you know, for the folks that don't care about all that stuff, or if you already have the comics in your collection, if you're an, if you're already a hardcore, uh, Matt Frank art fan, and you already have some of that stuff, uh, then and you and you just want the movies, then Arrow will be providing that for us. Um, you just won't get some of the other additional items like the cards, the map, and et cetera, et cetera. Which you know, it's it, it's fine, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm 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 disappointed for the folks that did, that was not able to get their hands on one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of. Uh, I mean, I didn't get one. I didn't get a set, and I'm not hugely disappointed by that because I have kind of switched over to digital um, exclusive and not uh, physical media, just because I just don't have room for a lot of things where I live. You're an Arrow TV subscriber, aren't you? Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I still can watch so, the movies, um, yeah. but I just don't. I don't get all the special features and stuff that everybody else has been talking about. Um, so yeah, I, I do, I, I was interested in it, but I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't afford it and I couldn't, uh, make the room for it. Sure. So I'm not hugely disappointed for myself, but for other people who, mm -hmm. uh, were waiting until it came out because uh, like majority of the sales, like they, they were sold out within the first few days because most of the sales were all pre-orders. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody was the kind of person who, was waiting till it actually was on sale before buying it, then they probably missed out on it. And yeah, that's, there yeah. was very few people that I know that actually that was able to get a copy of it after it was released. I know our friend, uh, Alex from monsters versus Ben, he was able to get one after mm -hmm. it was actually released because he, you know, th because there was a lot of orders, a lot of pre-orders got canceled on people. Like mm -hmm. I saw a lot of orders from like deep discount and some other places and Amazon, their orders just being canceled. And the, and the only explanation they're getting is they, they're either out of their, they ran out of supply or their uh, copy got quote unquote lost. So I would say they drastically underestimated the amount of copies that they were going to need or the 8,000 was on purpose because of all the extras we got. I, I don't know which, which side I, I um, err on, but either one is plausible. But I will yeah. say this. I will say this. I'm sorry to cut you off. But yeah, I will ahead. say I have read through I have read through The Last Hope, which is the uh, Gamera prequel comic that came mm -hmm. with this set, which was an exclusive to this set. And it is it is really good. Um, I do, I know I said this for the Ultraman Blu-ray, but I never got around to it, but I do plan on doing some kind of bonus episode for this podcast where I talk about the Gamera set itself. Yeah. It'd be really nice if we could, um, 
we could get Elijah on for that too, because I know Elijah has gone through and like uh, just in our personal, our group chat that we have um, has broken down what's available, what's not available, what was included in original releases. that's not included in this set, all that kind of stuff. So uh, he would be a good person to also include in that. Yeah, I may actually, actually, I may actually do that because you're right. Cause Elijah from Kaiju conversations is a wealth of knowledge. Because he is a physical, he, to say that he is a physical media nut is an mm, Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he is a he is a fanatic on physical media. I, he has probably the biggest physical media collection I have ever seen. Um, and yeah, he would be. I, I may actually. I think you're right. I may actually reach out to him after this recording and and see if he'd be wanting to collaborate on like on some kind of bonus episode for us. Yeah. So uh, everybody can stay tuned for that. All right. Well, that's it for the news this week. Uh, let's get into our main topic. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. I was. <laughs> I thought you hit a gong. Like, doom. No, I was reaching for my water, and um, I hit my I hit my knuckle on the table here, and my ring and my my wedding ring tapped against the. Uh, tapped against the table sorry about that if you leave that in <laughs> listener sorry about that <laughs> i just thought, I thought it's like let's get to our main topic Dong, big old gong <laughs> i should have just left it alone and said yep, yeah that's, that's our new uh main topic sound effect yeah <laughs> um so uh last week we asked a trivia question hinting to what our topic was for this week the trivia question was what giant monster film takes place partly in italy only because ray harryhausen wanted to vacation there and we got a lot a lot of answers so uh starting with jim till who answered ymir's movie which yes yes it is it's ymir's movie <laughs> it's the movie that that I, I don't know how exactly you're supposed to say that I, I I've always seen it written down but the monster from this movie Ymir. I think it's Ymir I think it's Ymir I think Ymir. I'm not a hundred percent sure because they don't ever say it in the film. right yeah they never say it in the film um O'Rourden uh Carol said the Valley of Guanji which close but nope that wasn't it. Uh, then we had Luis Hernandez, who said 20 million miles to Earth, which is the correct answer. Uh, Luis, also, I wanted to point out, is a fantastic artist and has an Etsy page and a an Instagram account that you can go and check out his artwork. He is the one, I sent you a picture, Michael, of the Baragon, um, kind of classic oh, Japanese yeah, oil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or watercolor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh yeah, man. It's 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 beautiful, beautiful art. Yeah, it's oh I love it so much. It's like classic Japanese watercolor, but it's Baragon. Oh man, I love it. And he's he does a lot of giant monsters. He's um he has recently branched out from the Toho kind of uh and Gamera um world and has started doing more American monsters. So like he did he's done King Kong, he did yeah. um the the uh the giant ants from them. Uh, I know he did G98 too. So uh, yeah, I, I will include the links to his Instagram and to his Etsy because anybody who's interested in giant monsters and loves art should check out his stuff because he does fantastic work. Oh, for sure. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. 
Yeah. Um, Michael Zabkar said 20 million miles to Earth, as well as Wild Strike on uh, Twitter. He said 20 million. Just 20 million. Now, I don't know if that he means 20 million miles to Earth or if he's offering us 20 million dollars to give him the answer. I will. Um, I will take the 20 million and see you. Not doing this. Yeah. Not doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> podcast is over with. Yep. We, we've hit it big. <laughs> I get uh, 15 million and Travis gets five. Yeah. Uh, I'll actually, you know what? I'll be happy with five million. <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I'm like, you know what? No, if someone offers you five million, I, I'm not gonna argue with it. <laughs> um, Jurassic Mark Mancini said twenty million miles to Earth, as well as Will Harberth. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Uh, Will Harberth said twenty million miles to Earth. Kevin Morn gave us the name of the monster. Uh, Ymir. Kaiju Conversation, so talk about Elijah, uh, said 20 million miles to Earth. And then we get into the funny answers uh, and the more interesting answers. We've got uh, Monster Island Film Vault podcast that said the Godzilla father, um, which admittedly (laughs) works better in text form than saying out loud. But it's a funny one anyway. It's the Godfather, but it's Godzilla Father. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's that's the way I read it. It was I was like I'm like you. I was trying to figure out what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, like the Godzilla Father? Like <laughs> Jimmy from NASA said Hercules against the beast from twenty thousand miles to Earth. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a really cool movie though. Yeah, it's like a combination of every Harryhausen film ever made. <laughs> and I kind of like it. Pretty much. <laughs> um, the giant monster BS guys said 20 million monsters, Inc. <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> it's funny because we talked a little. I think we talked a little bit about that when I guessed it on their most recent episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, oh, man. I still got to listen to that. I need to go and listen to that right away. I keep forgetting about that it's on my phone. I have it downloaded, but I keep forgetting that it's on there. <laughs> um, then uh, Best Friend Kershaw uh, sent in a nice little um, note here. He said, 20 million miles to Earth is his answer. Uh, but then he also gave us a fact. Did you know? that Gene Simmons said that the creature in this film is the inspiration to uh, how he moves on stage whenever he's performing. Apparently he's a huge Harryhausen film. Yes, he is. He's a huge monster film in general because uh, he's, he's a big uh, Godzilla fan too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And part of his costume is actually designed to look like Gorgo. Uh, So it's inspired by Gorgo. So yeah, he's a huge monster fan. Um, And uh, he also said, also, did you know that there's a sequel comic to this 20 million miles more? I was aware of that. Uh, I don't know if Michael, you were aware of that. I was not. Now I need to watch. I need to find this somewhere and watch it. Yeah. uh, It's the, it's a, the comic book. Um, It, they did a few, let's see probably about 10 years ago, maybe, maybe less. They did an entire series that was the Ray Harryhausen collection Mm -hmm. um, uh, of comic books. 
And so they did sequels to most of the, the Harryhausen comic books. So they had like 20 million miles more. It came from beneath the sea again. Um, they had a Jason and the Argonauts sequel. A, a Wrath of the Titans was yeah. uh, from that. Um, they they did a bunch getting, of them. We've been getting a lot of Harryhausen media lately, I feel like, which mm -hmm. rightfully so. He just we, It would have been his 100th birthday. This past month, past June, was it? Yeah, uh, June or July, somewhere Something, around there. I think it was in maybe July because uh, uh -huh. he, he shares a birthday with another friend of mine. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I yeah, but we've been getting a lot of Harryhausen media lately, I feel like. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do one day, and I don't know how soon or how far away we are from doing that but i really would like for us to go through some of the sequel comics uh to some of these harryhausen films because they are really interesting and i would really like to see um i'd really like to read some of these because i haven't actually read I've, i i know about them and i haven't read um the the sequels to them but yeah there's a whole there's a whole bunch of uh of comic books that are sequels to the harryhausen like i said it was uh the harryhausen collection that they put out and uh and i actually do know where i can get them digitally so i'm gonna be buying them digitally to be able to review on the podcast okay that sounds awesome um i'll try to find them somewhere uh, I'll I'll send you where you can get them digitally, okay. oh, <laughs> uh, because the the company the company that produced them is out of is is out of business now. They don't exist anymore. So you're not going to be able to get printed copies unless you just happen to find them mm -hmm. in like a back issue box. But right. uh, but they are available um, on some digital sites. So uh, anyway, uh, and then I, I want to get to my the favorite my favorite answer for this week. Uh, that we got, which was from Nick Blackler, who said, uh, and he and he prefaced, "You should read this. Should be read in a gruff old Italian accent for best effect." So I'm going to get my Italian accent going. Okay, okay, okay. Composure. Olafio Piero, the fifty foot olive. That sounded more French than Italian. Yeah, it did. It did. Olfield Piero, the 50-foot olive. Uh, Olfield Italio, the 50-foot uh, olive. <laughs> Olfield Piero, the 50-foot olive. I'm doing the hand gestures, too, by the way. <laughs> I am, too. I am, too. I feel like it helps. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Or we appreciate that. It's been a while since you've sent us anything. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we're glad to, to see you back, man. Yeah. Well, he, he was back. He was back with the last one. Uh, the last one was the one. Well, that's he true. Said he, yeah. But this is, it's been a while since uh, Nick. Um, it's been a while since Nick um, sent us anything like, like as far as a, an answer to a question though. No, I, like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like last week was the first time he had been back for a while. So, uh, okay, Travis, show show the listener how much I pay attention to our. Own yeah, listeners. I know you don't you don't remember anything about our episodes once they're over with. <laughs> it was just last week, uh, <laughs> buddy. I don't even know what I had for lunch last, or I don't even know what I had for lunch yesterday. 
I don't even remember what I had for lunch today. And it was like an hour ago. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, moving on. Uh, so our main topic, of course, everyone in, has figured out by now is 20 million miles to earth. It is uh, a movie that is directed by Nathan H. Juaran. 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 Uh, I want to say is the, is the J and H sound? I, I, I don't know. Maybe Warren. <laughs> Warren, Warren, or yeah. Uh, And then uh, he doesn't matter. What really matters is the technical, technical effects were done by Ray Harryhausen. I mean, this whole film was done as a way to showcase Harryhausen's special effects, uh, his, his, you know, stop motion effects. So the director is, is important, but not as important as Ray Harryhausen doing the technical effects. But you also uh, had William Hopper, Joan Taylor, and Frank, Puglia, 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 Puglia. Now you're making me screw it up. Uh, <laughs> that sounds a little bit more accurate, I think. Yeah, uh, and they were the ones who starred in the movie. So um, the plot breakdown for this movie is the first spaceship to visit Venus crash lands in the sea, freeing a small native Venusian creature called the Ymir. Eventually, it grows to enormous size and threatens the city of Rome. So getting into our opening thoughts, what are your opening thoughts on 20 million miles to Earth? Well, there's one huge plot hole right off the bat. And that is, it should have been retitled 76.522 million miles to Earth. Because that's how long it takes to get from the Earth to the planet Venus. Now, when I looked it up, it said it was 26 point something million no, I'm, miles. I'm looking at, I'm looking at okay. Google Earth right here. It says current distance is 76.522 million miles. Okay. All right. I'll trust you while I Google to make sure that you're right. <laughs> All right. Fine, Travis. I'm done. If you're going to doubt me, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. So, oh yeah. So here's, here's it is. Um, because uh, the orbits of the planets are on an ellipses, they're not perfect circles. On average, it is 25 million miles away. Uh, though it can reach as close as 24 million miles, but at its apex, it is, uh, or what it's at currently is 76.5 million. Gotcha. All right. so, so that's, I'm... that's why the discrepancy there. Cause it, it so, changes. So none of us were wrong. None of us were right. <laughs> that's one uh, way of looking at it too. Okay. Anyway, go ahead with your opening thoughts. <laughs> Okay, so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta preface, I gotta say this first because we always forget this is part of our what is it, Space Monster Month, Space something? Yeah, Space Monster September. Space Monster September. There we go. Thank you, Travis. Um, and I was really excited to do this movie because this is one of those growing up that. I remember so much as a kid because I remember being I remember being so impressed. Uh, I, I remember being like six year old me was so impressed by the design of this monster and so in so enthralled into the story and just thought it was just so cool because you know at growing up as a kid you all these old Harryhausen films used to come on television all the time. Now when I first saw this movie it was in black and white. The, the my most recent viewing which was 
literally yesterday. Um, I watched it in color, which eh, I'm not super impressed by the color. It looks really fake, but that's usually what happens when uh, you try to recolor some of these old films. Um, it's no blob, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. I really like this movie and not for nostalgic reasons. Uh, the monster design is really the monster design is really cool. Uh, he, re he reminds me a little bit of the Kraken, which they probably, it's probably the same maquette that they used mm -hmm. for the Kraken in, um, uh, Jason, is it Jason or is it, um, Wrath of or, uh, Clash of the Titans. Uh, Clash of the Titans. There we go. Uh, it's probably the same maquette, at least the same head used for Clash of the Titans for the Kraken. Uh, he also reminds me a little bit of um, uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which also is a fantastic movie uh, that I hope we eventually get around to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I don't know what else to say except for I just really enjoyed this movie. You know, some of the some of the human characters lacked a little bit, but. Honestly, I know this is going to ruffle some feathers. I didn't come here for the human characters. I came here for the Harryhausen. So there. Yeah. Um, my opening thoughts, I'm with you. I really like this movie. This is um, just such a great uh, Harryhausen film. I now, when it comes to, I know there's a big debate between, you know, whether you watch subs or dubs when it comes to like the foreign films. Um, I've never been one who cares. Like I'll watch dub sometimes, sometimes I'll watch sub. It just depends on my mood, but there is one thing that I am super strict on. And that is I will not watch colorized versions of movies, or at least not. I don't prefer colorized ones. I always will choose the black and white ones before I will choose the colorized ones. Now that's, that's movies that were filmed in black and white and then colorized after the fact you know, movies in color. I don't, you know, that's of course I'll watch a movie in color, but, but right. these, these old black and white films, when they're colorized, even when they're done well, mm. I still just don't like them. I prefer black and white. I prefer the original black and white. So for me, I did watch this in black and white, yeah. um, which I found out is actually kind of hard to find. Um, but I already had a copy of it because I think the on Tubi, if you watch it on Tubi, the um, they only have the colorized version no, Tubi has on a black there. And white version. Oh, yeah, do they? Was, okay. Well, I saw the colorized it one. It was on there, Amazon so. that has the colorized version. And I have a I have a yeah. digital copy through Amazon and I watch but I watched it on Blu-ray because I have the 50th anniversary Blu-ray that I uh, have okay. on uh, Amazon. Yeah, um so uh the digital the digital on Amazon and also on Vudu, I think you can only get the colorized version. Now it's the same with um, it came from beneath the sea. Mm -hmm. You can only get the colorized version now. They don't have the black and white version available to purchase digitally. Now I compared um, this to it came from a it came from beneath the sea. There we go. Um, I compared it to this, and I really think as far as like colorization goes, I think that they did it better in uh, Twenty Million Miles. And I don't even know which one came first. I, I think Twenty Million Miles came first. Um, as far as colorization goes, I don't know, but as far as like actual films, uh, it came from beneath the sea came first. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm not sure like which, which colorized version came first out of those two, but I will say that I did, I, I compared it to 
because I was curious because I know that it came from beneath the sea. I watched that one in color also. And I remember thinking that the colors looked really unnatural. And mm-hmm. in, in this one, at least they looked semi-natural. The only, the only issue I had with um, some of the color, some of the color was like the skin tones because all the skin tones look super flat, like this super flat sort of peachy color or uh, olive color for the folks uh, that are supposed to be of Italian descent. Um, so yeah, that's the only real issue I had as far as Ymir, the, the monster. Uh, he looked really great because he was this really bright green. Uh, he was this really nice mix of dark and bright greens, and it was just really cool. Uh, I, I imagine that's probably what uh, the people in the in this time period thought of aliens, was these little green men or these little green monsters. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um Getting into our likes and dislikes since, you know, we, we, the opening thoughts are kind of dragging on here. Um, but, but I do want to say before we, we get completely out of opening thoughts, um, I, one thing, and I do mention it later on in my, in my final thoughts, um, on the movie and my final review, but, one thing I love about because the way I've been scheduling the the Harryhausen films is we've been going in order mm-hmm. from release uh, from release. Uh, so our first one that we did was Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms because we skipped over Mighty Joe Young. Um, then we did uh, It Came from Beneath the Sea, and we skipped um, we skipped Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which was mm-hmm. the mo- one just prior to this. Right, and then we went to Twenty Million Miles to Earth. One of the things I love about watching them in order is that you can see the progression of Harryhausen's skill level. Like he's always been great with the stop motion, but you can definitely see that as time is going on, he's growing. Um, There is a shot in this movie where uh, the characters start in front of the Ymir who is passed out and, uh, and walk behind the Ymir Mm. And that shot, you wouldn't have gotten that in It Came From Beneath the Sea or Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Because I don't think he technically, Harryhausen, could have done a shot like that until you get to here. But the fact that he keeps experimenting with new things. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, I've mentioned that before because I know in Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, you didn't really get the monster interacting with the live actors very much or the live you know, surroundings, right. uh, live sets and stuff uh, very much. But then when you get to It Came From Beneath the Sea, you have the uh, the octopus that's there uh, interacting with people and with the set around it. And then and when you get to here, you get way more of that. So oh, yeah. and um, it's super impressive because one scene in particular that I remember uh, very vividly was the barn scene. The, mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're trying to capture Ymir in the barn and, and he attacked the um, the the farmer. I'm just, I'm just mm-hmm. going to call him the farmer because he didn't have a name or anything like that. And uh, he attacked that guy. And I was really impressed by how they were, how Harryhausen or how Harryhausen and his team was able to merge like the live action people, like our protagonists, Ymir and the claymation uh, stop motion man that Ymir was attacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many great shots uh, in this, and one of the things I do really love about this movie, getting into our likes and dislikes, is how much screen time is dedicated to the Ymir. Um, you know, I talked about it with King Kong last week. That once King Kong is in the movie, they just kind of like 
he dominates the movie for the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the film, he dominates it. Uh, and Ymir is kind of similar. Like you do get moments where there, you focus more on the human side of things, but for the amount of screen time, that Ymir gets, you can imagine the amount of work that went into that because each minute of screen time was like hours and hours of, you know, actual work, you know, doing the stop motion. So for every minute that he's on screen is a huge amount of work for Harryhausen and his team to do. And so knowing that and seeing the amount of time that the Ymir spends on screen, it's just like amazing. Yeah, it it's absolutely is. And you're right you know, this process is not cheap. And so, you know, I was impressed. I was impressed because it had been, it'd been a minute since I'd watched this movie. Uh, and I was really surprised because typically when you get one of these, these old uh, stop motion animation film or Harry Allison films, because I think that was the only person doing it at the time, you don't get a whole lot of screen time for like the monsters or the dinosaurs or something like that. It's always focused on the humans. And that was for budget budgetary reasons, of course, because like we said, um, you know, stop motion is not cheap. And um, so I was very impressed with how, how much screen time Ymir got. And so I 100, I don't, I 100% agree with you that, you know, it, it was fantastic to see that. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it, anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough knows how much of uh, how much uh, we love Harryhausen, and we will sing his praises constantly because we just love the work that he has done. Oh, yeah. um, For sure, he definitely wasn't the only person doing stop motion effect at the time. Uh, there was definitely a lot of other stop motion effects, but he definitely was the the best in yeah, the business. Yeah, there was other stop motion movies at that time. I don't think he did did he do um uh the giant behemoth do you remember if he did that one no because no I he didn't do that one okay so i remember that one being stop motion and that one also being a little bit questionable because it wasn't it wasn't it was okay it was fine stop motion it wasn't great it wasn't to the like the harryhausen level but yeah you're right i should have probably i i that I was incorrect in saying that Harryhausen was the only person at that time doing it. Right. So I, yeah. I, Cause, I, cause you go, you go all the way to like planet of the dinosaurs and that was stop oh. motion effects and stuff. <laughs> uh, and that was in the seventies, but also around the same time as this movie, you had the black scorpion, which was Willis O'Brien, uh, who was still working at the time doing little, you know, some stuff. Uh, so yeah, there, there were other people, but I still think, and, and this is why this is, and this is, uh, I don't know if I've said anything different in previous episodes when we talked about Harryhausen, but to me, the Ymir, this monster in this movie is my favorite Harryhausen monster. Uh, this isn't my favorite Harryhausen film, mm but this is definitely my favorite monster that he's our creature that he's ever done. And one of the reasons is because I felt for this monster. I felt so much sympathy for this creature. And the fact that they were able to make me feel so much sympathy for this stop motion creature that, you know, the maquette is probably only a foot tall mm. is, sure. is just shows how great they are his, him and his team was at making these creatures have personality because i'm like i feel bad for this monster i don't want it to get hurt i want to see it survive yeah for sure um 
like even his, his, even the sound effects for the creature, it was just so, for lack of a better word, pitiful. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I'm like you, man. I was, I was very invested in in Ymir. Uh, I wasn't so much invested in our human characters, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute. But um, I was very much invested. I, I like what you, I like how you compared this to King Kong in a way where. Harry Howes, where you're able to sort of put yourself in the place of Ymir because you know this that he he was brought back from another he was brought back from his home planet to somewhere he does not even he doesn't know. Um, it's in the um, it's in the film that it it kind of gives you the it kind of gives you the the it implies there we go it implies that he doesn't necessarily always grow to that size it was what in the film it was due to our earth's due to earth's oxygen he, mm-hmm. he grew to that size so he's not naturally that size and so i found myself um putting myself in his place where he's suddenly confronted by all these humans that are trying to capture him trying to kill him he's he's at a size that he pot he doesn't his species doesn't always grow to every mm-hmm. uh, I guess that for lack of a better phrase phrase <clears throat> and I just felt I'm like you I felt real sympathy for him I felt real sympathy for the character yeah and and he didn't seem like he was out to hurt anyone or anything like the the um the astronaut airman soldier whatever he is William Hopper's character uh even said in there that when they were on Venus and they were watching them, that they were never aggressive unless they were provoked. So right. yeah, for sure. This creature. And, and one of the things I do like about this film is that uh, if you notice it, every person and every animal that he attacks directly, they are not killed. Um, the dog is still breathing after he attacks the dog or the dog attacks him. And then he, you know, fights back. Um, even the elephant is shown to still be breathing after uh he walks away so like he doesn't kill and 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 even the farmer that he attacked they said they said in the film specifically that he was seriously injured but not killed right so obviously this ymir is not a bloodthirsty monster that deserves to be killed like i think uh and like we said we were comparing it to king kong i had more sympathy for the ymir at the end of this movie than I did for King Kong in, in the King Kong 33. Um, I felt, you know, I felt more sadness when spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched this movie. Uh, the Ymir is dies at the end. Mm. I, I didn't necessarily feel more sadness for Ymir, but I felt the equal amount of sad. Cause I know we just covered, king kong 33 like literally we just like which i'm which it's 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 great that we're covering this film immediately after kong 33 because Mm -hmm. they mirror they they mirror themselves in some really good ways um so i find myself equally being as sympathetic to ymir as i was kong and then you know vice versa yeah, see, I think I'm just biased against Kong. I'm just not a huge Kong fan, uh, so I'm more. And, and it might also be the the my emotional state that I was in when I was watching this movie that I was just like, I feel really bad for this monster, and I don't want him to die. 
So yeah, it's a, it, it is a great creature. Now I do want to ask you, cause I've mentioned now my favorite Harryhausen monster or creature. Uh, cause he never liked calling them monsters. He always called them animals or creatures. Mm. Um, uh, I, I said what my favorite is that Ymir is my favorite. What is your favorite Harryhausen creature? Oh man, that's it's tough because there are so many good ones. Um, but I'm not gonna cop out. I'm not gonna cop. I'm not gonna give you my favorite and then give you a runner-up. I'm just gonna tell you what my favorite one is. Um, probably, it would have to be um, the dragon from the seventh voyage. Seventh voyage of Sinbad. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. I, I do really like that one. That's a good one. And it doesn't uh, get—he doesn't get a lot of screen time. Uh, It's—I think maybe he only gets like maybe ten or so minutes of screen time when he battles the Cyclops. But I always really liked that that design and the way that uh, Maquette moved. I thought it was super well done. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. I mean, there's so many good ones. That's the thing. There's so many good ones that it's hard to pick just one but but yeah i just i find myself even more than even more than some of the other monsters the ymir to me the the harryhausen has done the ymir to me is the one that i i feel the most for so that's why to me it's my favorite um we are going to be covering uh the seventh voyage of sinbad coming up soon hopefully let me see we have we've done beast we've done it came from beneath the sea then we skipped over Earth versus the Flying Saucers, mainly because that's not necessarily a kaiju film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to 20 million miles to Earth. Uh, and the vo- seventh voyage of Sinbad is the next one in line. Okay, great. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, so we've got that one coming up. So uh, so I'm hopefully we won't take as big of a break between Harryhausen films as we did last time because it has been a while since we covered one. So I, I do want to cover them more often because i just i i love him and i want to get through his whole filmography in order because i just i i love i love going through these films in order um so so that's all of our i mean well not all but that's that's the majority of our positives that we have for this film but do you have any negatives for this film 20 million miles to earth not necessarily negatives but um you know the human characters are sort of lackluster you've got a whole lot of tropes with these human characters, you've got the intelligent, but still very, um, what's the best word I can say uh, is dependent. Maybe the same, like the, the female lead in this film's not given enough agency. Uh, she's right. given some, but she, she, she's given more agency than maybe even the one in, um, uh, it came from beneath the sea, but it's still not, quite enough and then you've got sort of the overbearing lead male actor um and then just i just don't think that the i just don't really like the 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 human characters for this one because i just feel like they're sort of lackluster they're just sort of cookie cutter uh oh yeah but that's probably for good reason that's you know you have to think too when this film was made and when it was released and at that time it was very typical for for us to have characters like this in this same mold as the ones we got in this film. Right. Yeah. And especially in this genre of film, like the sci-fi, right. you know, right. I wish they would have done more with the boy though. The, the, the little boy, Oh, Pepe, 
Pepe, yeah, Pepe. There we go. The one Pepe, that won. what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, I want. I'm not gonna go. Sorry, I'm not gonna go there. Um, I want the hat and the horse, just like you have in the big in the great country, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. I was afraid I couldn't uh, do a very good Italian. Uh, or oh yeah, I, I'm doing a great Italian accent. So well, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna let you do you, but uh, I. <laughs> I wish that they would have probably done more with him um, because it seems like after what, like the first 30 minutes or so, it just, they don't do much else with him. And it, I think that could have been a really interesting plot line to follow where he's the one that found Ymir. He's the one, but again, it wouldn't quite make sense for him to have some kind of emotional connection to Ymir because he didn't spend a whole lot of time with Ymir as the monster. He spent a lot, he spent more time, with Ymir as the egg. And, right, yeah. Um, so now, it w- go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, now, we usually will call, whenever there's a, a kid protagonist in one of these kaiju films, especially the Japanese kaiju films, we will call them kinnies. So anytime there's a kid in an American monster movie, I want to call them Pepe. Because he this okay. he was the kinny in this movie. I found him extremely annoying. Um, I did, I was glad when he was off screen cause he was really annoying. Um, the rest of the, you know, the Italian fishermen, they were okay. The Italian accents were way over the top and way horrible. They were not authentic accents at all. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, I was glad when they just got away from that whole, uh, part mm-hmm. of the movie and just moved on to to uh, them trying to capture the Ymir. Yeah, it was it was very forced and it was it was fine. It was what I would imagine you would expect from a movie. Uh, what is this? Was this what fifty seven? Fifty seven, yeah. Fifty seven. Okay, so that's it's sort of what you would expect from uh, a monster movie in nineteen fifty seven. But now I'm, I'm I will say do- this though. You you say that, but then the human characters in the Blob and the Blob came out about the same time. It was, it was a little bit later than this. Uh, the Blob, the human characters in it were way better than they are in this film. And I think that yeah, you do kind of expect you know them to be a little shallow and underwritten and stuff because it was the fifties and it was the the uh, these genre films. They they never really spent a lot of time trying to do great acting in these films. Like even the actors didn't really take them that seriously because they just were like, Oh, well, this is just a genre film. Sure. But I do want to say that I think the reason why the acting and stuff in this is not up to par is not so much the time period that it came out, but more that this film and, and it was, I mean, the, the, that's a fun fact that I had was that this film was created with the idea of it being a showcase for Ray Harryhausen's effects. Right. So I think that they just decided to put more emphasis on the effects than anything else. And that's why, that's why I wasn't really, I didn't really care that much about talking about the director because the director seemed like he was more there just to keep things in order while, mm. you know, and to, to move things along from, from Harryhausen effect to Harryhausen effect, it wasn't necessarily meant to be anything super fantastic. It wasn't meant to be groundbreaking. The, the, the effects were meant to be the star of the show. And so that's that, I think that might be why more than the actual time period 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, one I, one other ahead. thing I'm going to say, I, there, there are some issues with scale in this, in this, in this movie that I have a little bit of a problem with. Um, and I'm not quite sure why maybe they were just trying to show like specifically, I'm thinking of like the elephant scene. Mm-hmm. I feel like that elephant was way too big. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say except for. I like, have a fun fact about that uh, in the fun okay. fact segment, but yeah, you're right. The, the scaling of the elephant was kind of off, was a little off. Um, I do have a fun fact. Oh, I do want to ask you now. Do you think we should have, or do you think this movie would have been better if we had gotten any of the scenes from the astronauts on Venus? Because it seems like there was a whole nother movie that took place prior to this movie beginning. I would have liked to have seen at least what happened to cause them to crash. I would at least like to have seen that. Uh, I'm assuming from the way they, I, I'm assuming cause they don't really tell you that maybe it was a, um, a mechanical malfunction or something like that, a computer malfunction, but yeah, I, I think I, it had to do with, uh, the virus that they had all caught because maybe, um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe all of uh, the crew, except for the one guy who survived all caught this like deadly virus. Well, see, that's something they don't, they don't really explore either. And that's, an, that's, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because mm-hmm. I really would have loved to have seen if the virus was connected to Ymir, um, in any way, shape or form, at least give us like maybe a, a 30 second or like couple or two minute flashback of them on the ship and something happening to give us some kind of context as to first right. of all, why or how they captured Ymir or even why uh, they got the virus anyway. But I get what they're going for. They were sort of playing up sort of this mystery. Like what, like what is this creature? Where does he, like he comes from Venus. Is he the one that carries the virus? You know, stuff like that. But I really would have wished that they would have explored some of those, some of those plot points because it would have helped. I feel like it would have helped out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who knows? Cause I haven't read the comic book, but maybe, maybe a lot of that stuff is explored in the comic book, the, the sequel comic. Well, so. we can't be the only one with that problem. So maybe. Yeah, well, no, I, I know that um, the the Tokyo Lives uh, guys, when they reviewed this, they talked about how there was this whole other movie that took place before this movie even began, and and we kind of they kind of wish they would have seen that too. So so yeah, I, I we're not the only ones that feel that way, but but that's not to say that I didn't enjoy what we got. I just that I, it was something that I thought of. I was like, oh, there's a whole lot of backstory here that um, isn't really explored too much. Um, I have a few little, like they were, they were more nitpicks and kind of just funny things that I noticed in the movie that I have listed here. Um, one was when the divers were going in to search for the, the container that had the Ymir egg, uh, those speedos don't leave a lot to the imagination. Uh, no, uh, no, they sure don't do they? <laughs> uh, also, did you see the eyebrows on the farmer that the Emir attacks? <laughs> uh, I didn't notice it. Honestly, I, I really didn't notice he it. He had two big furry caterpillars on his face. <laughs> Just, <laughs> his eyebrows were nuts. <laughs> and then there was another funny little thing. The Japanese, quote unquote Japanese, because he wasn't actually Japanese, um, scientist, uh, it, the, when they were... Uh, 
um, dealing with the Ymir uh, when they were actually uh, testing the Ymir and experimenting on it, that he is facing away from the camera the entire time. You never mm -hmm. see his face. Like he purposely is looking away from the camera. Mm -hmm. And it's because the actor that they got was not actually Japanese. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by his accent, he was not. Oh, actually uh, Japanese. Well, you know, it's, I, I can tell <laughs> just, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, though, that one of the things I like about this film versus some of the previous Harryhausen films and, and not just Harryhausen, but but the previous 1950s monster movies that we've covered. Um, I'm glad there wasn't a lot of narration. Like there was a little bit of narration at the beginning and that was it. Like there was just not a whole lot. And I am so glad for that because yeah, I is hate typical, narration. Yeah, which is the typical setup for sort of these 1950s monster movies. Yeah, but I hate narration in movies. I really do. Uh, I mean, I, I, that's a general uh, generalization because there's sometimes it works, but for the most part, I do not like narration in movies, and that is one of my pet peeves. Even if, even with the 1950s movies, I'm like, oh, it's just so annoying to to hear. I think the the uh, the giant claw was the worst one that we've had so far, but <laughs> it doesn't annoy me. Maybe to the degree it annoys you, I can kind of get over it because like i said that's just sort of the that's that's one of the tropes of these 1950s 60s monster movies yeah um so is there any other likes or dislikes that you wanted to share about the movie before we get into some fun facts uh no not really i mean other than just the fact that i really like this movie it's i'm just i'm both nostalgic for it and it's a good movie yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll save, save it for the final thoughts. When we get into final oh, thoughts, okay. we'll talk I'm about sorry. that. Sorry. But I was just wondering if you had any more specific likes oh, or dislikes. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm good. Okay, um, so let's talk about some fun facts here before we get into our final thoughts and our Godzuki scores. So uh, the film was originally going to be set in Chicago. This ties into the the question that I had for from last week that hinted to this. Um and the, the rocket was going to crash into Lake Michigan. But right before submitting the idea to producer Charles Schneer, Ray Harryhausen decided to change the setting to Italy at the last minute after deciding that he always wanted to go on vacation there but could never afford it on his own. So that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally one way to do it. You're right. And, you know, I, I imagine he's not the only um, director or crew member or senior crew member that has pulled that trick. Oh yeah, no, no, that's, that's happens all the time. But I, one of the things I love about, um, there's, a um, what's his name? But yeah, there's, a I, I listened to an interview one time with Eric Roberts, uh, who's Julia Roberts, brother. He's a, he's an actor in his own right. And he's like, he's been in a lot of things. He's been in, you know, like the dark Knight and everything, but he's also been in a lot of really crappy movies. Mm -hmm. And, he always says that the reason why he does a lot of those crappy movies, even though he's a great actor is because he's like, well, you know, they, they tell, they tell me they'll pay me such and such amount of money and I get to go to some far away place and spend like two weeks filming and then spend a, another two weeks just relaxing. It's like, of course I'm going to do it. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. It's like, it's like why not? <laughs> yeah. It's like, who cares? I would so, do yeah. it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, here's the fun fact that I told you I, that it deals with the elephant. So since he planned to use real elephant, uh, a real elephant in some of the footage in the zoo, Ray Harryhausen asked for one that was 15 uh, foot tall. 
but the film was uh, the film crew and everything was only able to produce uh, to procure or you know they were only able to get one that was eight foot tall okay. so in order to make the elephant look much bigger they actually had a four foot six inch actor uh cast to play the zookeeper so if you notice when they show the elephant and the zookeeper there he is kind of a short guy right. and that's just to make you feel like the elephant's bigger gotcha. than what he is and i think they did the same thing with the um the actual uh stop motion elephant they tried to make him bigger than what he what the elephant in real life actually was because <laughs> they, they couldn't get the big well one. i just imagine it was just because you know it's uh it's probably very difficult it's probably actually pretty difficult to um to really get accurate scaling with something like this too, because you're dealing with, you're not dealing with a computer. You're not dealing with computer generated graphics. You're dealing with literal clay models. So it's probably, probably pretty difficult to get everything perfectly in scale. So I just attributed it to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also speaking of the elephant, the man feeding the peanuts to the elephant uh, in the zoo scene when they're going in to see the Ymir before they go in to see it passed out uh, and under sedation. Uh, The man that was feeding the peanuts to him is Ray Harryhausen himself. Uh, He he played that part because the actor who was scheduled to play the part didn't show up. So he, uh, he stepped in and played that, that character. And he also is later uh, appears in, with the crowd that's fleeing the zoo. So that's a couple of cameos that Ray Harryhausen made in the film. He doesn't, he's not like Stan Lee. He doesn't make a whole lot of cameos, but he will Mm-mm. appear every now and then. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't. He, he was always a behind the scenes guy. He never really did a lot of, uh, in front of camera work. Right, um, sure. the original design for the monster was actually a giant cyclops and you can actually look online and find some of the original drawings and designs that Harryhausen came up with for mm-hmm. the cyclops version of the Ymir. Um, and the designs that he used for that, uh, are the, those designs he didn't use for the Ymir, but he did later adapt them for the cyclops in the seventh voyage of Sinbad. That does not surprise me because they, they are kind of similar yeah they are very similar and uh and he uh, actually even made a clay model of the uh the cyclops version of the emir and he said he didn't like the way it looked and so that's why he went with the more reptilian uh looking emir that he did um you can actually see a lot of this stuff. There's a documentary that's on, I know it's on Amazon prime. I don't know if it's on anything else, but it's about Ray Harryhausen. Um, who's like, uh, I forget what they call it. The master of, of special effects or something like that. Um, there's a, there's a documentary about him and, and it, it was filmed and made while he was still alive. And, uh, it's, it's really, it's a really, really good documentary. So I encourage anybody to go and check that out. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. It's a, it's in my wish list or it's in my, um, uh, it's in my watch list. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, it's it's really good, and and it, there's a lot of interviews with other directors and producers and stuff, and how he influenced them in their creations. Um, I like Peter Jackson, James Cameron, um, Steven Spielberg, Tim Burton, all of them. Like they're just so much of what they've done was inspired by what Ray Harryhausen did. <clears throat> Um, another fun fact for this movie is after he completed this 
film. He felt that doing uh, modern day sci-fi thrillers uh, was kind of, he, he kind of got tired of that. Um, and so his interest had shifted into doing more fantasy adventures. Mm -hmm. So that's why you, know, you had Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. You had, it came from beneath the sea. You had Earth versus Flying Saucers, 20 million miles to Earth. And then after this movie, he switches over to, you've got Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, The Mysterious Island, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, things like that. So you can see how he just kind of, he kind of got tired of the modern day uh, setting and, and wanted to go more fantasy. Right. And we, yeah, and we see what the, 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 the films that we see after this become less science fiction-y. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, word. absolutely. Uh, and this was the last movie that he did in black and white. Uh, the next, the next uh, films that he did were all in color, actually filmed in color and not just colorized after the fact. Right. Okay. That's so cool. yeah, this, uh, this is a very important one in the filmography of Ray Harryhausen for a lot of those reasons. Mm -hmm. So getting into our final thoughts and our Godzuki scores, if anyone is unfamiliar with the podcast, we like to score our uh, movies out of five Godzukis instead of five stars because we like to embrace the silly side of monster movies and pay homage to the great Godzuki, uh, who was Godzilla's bumbling nephew from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 70s by using him as our yardstick to measure these movies. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you, out of five Godzukis, um, how many do you give 20 million miles to Earth? And what are your final thoughts? Four out of five. Four out of five Godzukis. Um, that's an easy one. Uh, it does have, it does have some issues. Like I said, you know, the human character is a little bit lackluster. They're not, uh, they're your typical 1950s, 60s human uh, protagonists for a science fiction film. Uh, they're at, it doesn't, at, that does not say that their acting isn't good because it's, it's good, but it's just very cookie cutter. And that's probably one of my biggest issues with it. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's, I'm trying to not let nostalgia cloud my judgment here, but I'm going to have to just give in and say that, yeah, a little bit of nostalgia is going to cloud my judgment here because I do remember watching this film as a kid. I do remember enjoying it and being so fascinated by what I was seeing on screen uh, and the miniatures, all of it, the, the, the special effects work by, Mr., by uh, Mr. Harryhausen. I mean, all fantastic. And the story's not terrible either. I mean, it's a fairly original story for its time. Um, and I, I'm like you, I like a, I like it when I can empathize or, or sympathize. I'm not sure which word I'm supposed to use here, but, uh, I'm just going to go with empathize with the carrot, with the, um, monster a little bit, similar to how I felt in the original Kong film. And like I said, this movie does mirror King Kong in some really significant ways. But overall, I, I, I just think it's a good film. It's a good monster movie. It's a good science. If you like, you know, science fiction, monster movies, if you like the blend of those two things, then by all means, watch this. Because like we've talked about, it is a very important, it's a, it's a very important film in the catalog of Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I am going to give it four out of five Godzukis as well. 
Um, I wrote down my final thoughts, so I'm just going to read them out that I have as I have them written. Uh, of all the creatures that Ray Harryhausen created, the Ymir from this film is the one that I connect with the most on an emotional level. The fact that a stop-motion miniature can elicit such sympathy is a testament to how well Harryhausen and his crew was at giving his creations personality. As a showcase for technical effects, the movie shines. If you watch the Harryhausen filmography in order, you can clearly see how he develops and improves as an artist, and this film is no exception. The biggest drawback for it, though, uh, like many of Harryhausen's other films, is that the effects far outshine everything else. The cheesy acting, the hammy dialogue, and the lackluster music does the movie no favors. However, none of this can take away the fantastic monster effects. Overall, it is a fantastic monster movie featuring one of the greatest stop motion creatures ever put to film. And so that's my final thoughts there. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, and if people haven't figured it out by now, we really like this film. It's like, you know, like I said, it's an important one and worth having in any giant monster fans collection or just viewing it at least if, even if you don't have if you even if you don't purchase to have it at least watch it once because some of these effects although they are some of them are dated even like but it's mainly just maybe the um the acting that's dated i'll say that mm -hmm. more so than the effects because to me you know even the effects still hold up fairly well to this day Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that it holds up. I think it holds up better than some of the other, um, 50 giant monster movies that we might have watched, uh, before this, um, even some of the other Harryhausen films. I mean, as much as I love the Redosaurus from beast from 20,000 fathoms, as much as I love the, the octopus from, uh, it came from beneath the sea. I, I think the Ymir holds up better than them. And I think it's, and I, again, I think it goes back to that. He was experimenting with uh, and improving his effects uh, more like the shots that he, he does in each one. And, and we're going to see it as we continue through his filmography, because when you get to Sinbad, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, which is our next one, you really see where Harryhausen goes full hog in his way of, um, of making the miniatures interact with the environment around them and the live action um, actors and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I think that, that this movie holds up really well. All right. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So that's uh, going to be it for our thoughts on 20 million miles to earth. So now we have one more segment to cover before we finish off the episode. And you know what segment that is? The mailbag. The mailbag. <laughs> What's in the mail today? So we are continuing uh, Kershaw's email. My best friend in the whole wide world. Kershaw sent us sure. an email. We have covered uh, one of the questions that he had for us, and he had two more that I said we were going to continue to read out on the podcast. Uh, so continuing that email, he says, I'm loving the themed months. Not sure if y'all, he's, he's, he's from the South like me, so he says y'all a lot, are mm -hmm. taking suggestions, but I do love when y'all hint at and talk tokusatsu. Maybe you could have something like more phenomenal month, Maybe talk about the Power Rangers movies that are already out there, whether good or bad. 
oh, I, I know Michael would be interested in doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kershaw said, I rewatched the Turbo movie. Uh, he said, I rewatched the Turbo movie so much, my parents had to buy me multiple copies. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, good on you. I've only I've seen it a bunch, but I've not seen it. I've probably not seen it as much as you, though. I... I watch it. I watch it usually once a year is when I is about when I watch it because I do like revisiting the Turbo movie. Um, Kershaw's a little bit younger than me and you, so maybe that was the movie that came out right at that right time for him. So that's why he likes that one uh, more. Because for me, that's how I was with the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. I just watched it constantly. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, and then he also said there was the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie and the one that came out not too long ago. Uh, I think 2014 was or 2017, 2017. Yeah. Uh, and there's also talks of a, a new reboot movie that's out there. Yeah. We have covered that in the news. So maybe you could do a synopsis of your favorite season or episode of Power Rangers. Uh, Travis can pull out his Super Sentai knowledge here and there. Maybe even have a show where you encourage fans to write in about their favorite episode, moment, or memory of the show or regarding the show. So that's just uh, some thoughts that Kershaw wanted to share with us because he's, you know, like he said, he's enjoying how we're doing the themed months. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said, this month for September is Space Monster Month. So mm-hmm. he's talking about maybe doing a Power Rangers month. Well, Travis, you know what I've been, you know that I've been binging me some Power Rangers lately. Oh, yeah. So I'm up to, uh, I just started Zeo, um, which has been super great. I, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm so excited to get to, I'm so excited to get in in a little bit deeper. And I I started out saying that I'm only going to watch up to the point where I stopped, which was Lost Galaxy. And then I'm just going to stop. But the longer I go into this, I'm like, man, I probably just need to watch all the way through the franchise now at this mm-hmm. point, just to see how how it's progressed from the very first day of the dumpster episode all the way up to whatever episode title they're up to now. So mm-hmm. with, with that said, Travis, I'm going to go ahead and make an executive decision and okay. say, say that March of 2021 we're going to do more phenomenal month. We're going to do more phenomenal March. There we go. More than more phenomenal March, March (laughs) 2021. Uh, So yeah, great idea. Kershaw, uh, Travis's best friend in the whole wide world. So thank you so much. I, I, yeah, I wish that you were more, I wish that you were on social media more so that we could talk about power Rangers and our love for power Rangers and the turtle. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is one thing I did. I did know, like I, I, I don't know how me and Kershaw have been friends this long and not talked about our love for giant monster movies um, because uh, I, it just never came up, I guess. But one thing I did know about Kershaw was his love for power Rangers because me and him both uh, one time when he came over and was visiting for uh, the weekend or a week or however long he came and stayed, I can't even remember now uh, Mm -hmm. we watched as many of the power Rangers series as we could get through uh, because there was a lot of them that I had not seen. Uh, because I did stop watching at a certain point, and so I have to go back and you know catch up. I know I, I stayed with the series a lot longer than you did, but I did. I was getting stop. ready to ask you where you stopped, because uh, like I said, I stopped at Lost Galaxy. Uh, that was the series right after In Space, and yeah, uh, I, I I think I 
I think I stayed through, I think I might've dropped off right around RPM, mm, um, okay. which, you know, is right there in the, I think is still in the Disney era. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of, of Power Rangers. So yeah, I stayed on for a while. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the middle of the original run of the show back in the early nineties. And I think I'm going to have to just stick with it through the entire can, even through the, some of the contemporary stuff, because I I've been interacting with several people online and man, I, I, I think, I feel like I would be doing myself a, a disjustice by not just sticking with it throughout the entire franchise. No, let me tell you, I because I do watch uh, Super Sentai, and I know I know how you feel about Super Sentai, so I won't get into that. Right. But um, but I have been watching Super Sentai, and here and there, and you're in Zio. Is that where you're starting? You said Zio. Yes. Okay. Uh, the Super Sentai series that Zio is adapted from, which is um, O Ranger, is wild and. I am going to force you to watch at least one episode of that with me because <laughs> that show is wild. The, the, there was two of them. There's die Ranger, uh, that was adapted into like season three of power Rangers when they got their, was it Ninja Zords? Zords? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was, that was die Ranger, uh, which is a super Sentai series. And then O Ranger. And the two of them are so crazy so crazy and they're so different from the power rangers adaptations mm. they're absolutely nothing like power and, that, and that's one of the things i like about it. it's like because that's how i'm able to enjoy super sentai is the fact that they're so different that it's almost like a totally different show and yeah it's, and it, i'm sure that we will because we can't do a more phenomenal month without covering at least one episode uh at least one episode of our show talking about just super sentai. Uh, yeah, we can't, I may, just, we may do that as a bonus episode. I may force you to watch a super sentai episode. With maybe. Me. And then we just, <laughs> well, okay. I'd be more keen to do that. Just do a bonus episode, like do the origins of power Rangers and then spend the entire month with the actual power right. Rangers show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, we've got a lot coming up, a lot of power Rangers content coming up. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the only other thing I want to do for this episode is ask the trivia question that is hinting to next week's episode. So I decided to throw a softball this time and not go too deep into like the trivia. Uh, and the question is, what animated series is directly connected to the 1966 Ultraman show serving as a pseudo sequel? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So if anybody, and we're going to have a special guest on for that yeah, episode. So we sure looking are. forward to that. Yeah. We're going to have, uh, Alex from the monsters versus men podcast going to be joining us for that one. Yeah. So the only other thing to do is to thank everyone for listening to this episode and sharing it with your friends. We really appreciate the number of people who are picking up on our podcast and listening to it uh, and the how the community around our podcast is growing. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kaiju Weekly and at Kaiju Groupie Pod. That's me and Michael on Twitter. All the links to our social media, including the email that you can send your emails to, are in the description of this 
episode, as well as links to the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group where you can find like-minded Kaiju fans who spend a lot of time talking about Kaiju and not a lot of time bickering about, uh, oh, well, who would win the fight between you and you? Even though there is some of that. <laughs> but I think that's well, mostly Travis, from us doing Kaiju Clash. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't a whole segment of our show dedicated to that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we're bringing Kaiju Clash back for next week. So um, be prepared for that, too, listeners. Uh, you can send your questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. We also want to say a big thank you to Alex, Shijir, and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash kaijuweekly. And you know what I'm going to mention. Help us reach our goal of going to Blobfest next year. <laughs> because I want to go to Blobfest and I want to see the goo. I must see, see the goo. The goo. <laughs> must see the goo. I must see the goo. That is the new official podcast hashtag of the uh, show. We've got, we've got that and hashtag justice for Baragon. <laughs> so we're work. We've got two official hashtag hashtags for the show. Hashtag justice for Baragon and hashtag must see the goo. But Travis, do you know what else they can do to help us? What else can the they word do about this podcast? Spread they, the great word of Kaiju. Spread the gospel of Kaiju. No, I'm not even going to go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but they can go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. And like we always say, criticize us all you want in the comments, but make it five stars worth. And what that's going to do is that's going to put us in front of other Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans, just like you. And we're going to, it's going to help us grow the show. It's going to help us have more interesting conversations and it's going to help us uh, reach more people within the community uh, just by simply giving us a five star review on Apple podcasts. Yep. And so to close out this episode, I'm going to say help control the Pepe population. <laughs> Have your Ymirs spayed or neutered. Pepe, uh, what are you doing? The hat is too tight. It kills your brain. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say something, but I was, <laughs> I, I was going to leave it alone. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs>